What's up, everyone, and welcome to Roots of Humanity, a podcast that celebrates the beautiful people and culture of our world. My name is Drew Binsky. I'm a world traveler and content creator who has spent the past 12 years traveling to all 197 countries in the world. On this very first episode, I will be speaking with my friend Yeonmi Park, who is a North Korean defector who has one of the most harrowing stories you will ever hear in your life. I went through slavery. I went through rape. I, I literally crossed the Gobi Desert. As someone who has spent time in North Korea, this is a very special conversation that will leave you at the edge of your seat. If you are someone who is interested in North Korea, then don't go anywhere. Thanks for tuning in and let's get into it. Yeonmi, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you again like this. Tell me a little bit about your family background. Are your grandparents, great-grandparents, are they all from Korea? So I think my great, uh, my grandma was South Korean. So before the Korean War, she moved down to North Korea. All my friend, family, I think from North Korea, but a lot of them lived in China during the Korean War. They had to go evacuate and live in China region they come. So they, I, I heard that they spoke Chinese too. But have you ever spoken Chinese to your family or no? No, I mean, no, nobody told me Chinese to me. So, and I didn't get to see them because North Koreans usually die around 60. So by the time I was born, they all like pass away or like I, I was one and they passed away. Which part of North Korea are you from? I was born in the northern part. It's called the Yangang province, Zhezhan. When people hear North Korea, they go crazy. I mean, they're like, oh my God, North Korea. When you tell people that you're from North Korea, when you hear their reaction, how does it feel? As a person, it doesn't define me that much. Like I'm a person, right? So it's not my identity to be a North Korean at all. <laughs> but it's a bit like my responsibility for letting people to know that what's going on there because nobody really has any clue. Right. And let's say one of the few that have been there. But even me, I only went to Pyongyang, which is only the rich part and the small, smallest part of the country. There, what is there, 30 million people in North Korea? So I've only seen a tiny bit. 25 million, but more like 20 million people. Let's talk about some of the positives. What do you enjoy about North Korea? Tell me about your childhood. I know, I love this. Uh, this is a, for the first time I had to talk about good things about North Korea. So I predict it's going to be the hardest interview I've ever done. <laughs> One thing that I really do miss is the human connection, right? There's no distraction from social media. I mean, there's no internet. So people are so intimately connected. And, you know, growing up, I didn't play with toys or like internet or like digital games. I played with my friends, you know, playing a lot of those games that you uh, saw in the squid game. Not deadly resort like that, but a lot of like traditional plays we did together. So I think I like, I miss that human connection most. And tell me about the cuisine of North Korea. Yeah, I mean, North Korean food is, you could be the, I mean, hardest food you can find on earth right now. Because I mean, initially South Korean food got really evolved. They got a lot of, I mean, ingredients and they were able to take it to the next step. But North Korean food is very primitive. And I think you can tell it's very plain when you eat it because not much really in it. But for half the reason, I think it's the best. <laughs> There's really no overweight person in North Korea other than Kim Jong-un, so it proves, right? <laughs> and you guys, the kimchi there is the same in South Korea? Like kimchi we eat, but then like we also don't have like this oyster sauce. We don't have like, you know, apple or pear. We don't add those things in the kimchi. 
So like mostly just like pepper flakes and salt. And pretty much that's all we put in the kimchi. So it's very basic. Very basic, very plain. And in the beginning, I think even South Koreans get shocked. Like, is this really Korean food? And I had to adjust to South Korean food when I was there. Do you think like 100 or 200 years ago, it was different? Because both of the Koreas were, it was one. Do you think there was still this big set? Like before Kim Jong, Kim Il-sung, was there this big separation or it was, or no? There was no separation. But I did hear though, like in general, back then there was no really refrigerator. So Southern food would be more salty and the Northern food was less salty. That was really the difference. But now the difference is like how they make kimchi, how they make even soup, right? In North Korea, we don't know kimchi jjigae. I mean, we know the, the army stew. We, I mean, we never had a ramen. We didn't have a sausage. So we know, don't know gudet jjigae. So a lot of dishes, like, I did not know as a Korean. When I was in Pyongyang, I ate really good naengmyeon, but I feel like it was just a touristy restaurant. For those that don't know, naengmyeon is cold noodle soup. It's really good. But that's not a common food in North Korea, right? No, that for the commoners, we eat more like corn, corn flaked uh, noodles. But like naengmyeon is very fancy food if you had that. Do you recommend tourists like myself to go there and to see what it's like? Or do you tell people not to go? Because for me, let me just clarify. I'm going to every country in the world. Obviously, North Korea is a country. I'm also really curious about different societies. And because North Korea is the most isolated country in the world, that fascinates me. How do you feel about other Westerners or anyone going into North Korea and seeing what it's like? Like you did an amazing job, like covering North Korea. You offered a new perspective, people to see the country, you know, that's very valuable. And also, who am I to tell them what to do? I mean, that's individual choice but if I, I can offer a suggestion is is that you know I mean dictatorship really wants this foreign currency if North Korean regime wants tourists to come in the best thing is don't go there right like you just want to do the opposite things that dictators want but also there's like security reasons North Korea do hold hostages and they do the hostage diplomacy so even China does that recently. So when you go and just the so random chance you might get detained, like auto one beer and die. So there's like real actual threat to it. And that's why I, I get concerned. But I mean, otherwise it's their individual choice. They need to see the risk and the reward and make that best decision for themselves. Once again, I, I'm so fascinated by North Korea just because it's so different. I mean, I'm sure that the money that I spent on my tour is going into the, the regime, even though it was through a tour company through China, but it's connected to the government of North Korea because they gave me the visa. And I'm aware of that. And, and you know, that I, I think is something that I shouldn't be proud of. But that's the only way to get into North Korea. It's not, I cannot just buy a plane ticket to Pyongyang. It doesn't work like that. Exactly. <laughs> is North Korea really like we see in the documentaries on Netflix? Is it really that bad? When you think about North Korea, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Undescribable. It's like nothing you see on documentary actually depicts what's going on. There's no human words that you can use to describe what's happening. So even the things that you see in the documentary is really the best, you know, packaged thing that you see. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's in any way we can see the reality because nobody can go in with the camera and depict it. Right. I mean, a lot of people are like, how can anybody die from starvation in 21st century? And like, that's a reality, right? People die from starvation in 21st century because from the man-made famine by the dictator. And you told me that you, I'm not going to get into your full story because that's on my YouTube channel. People can watch that. But you almost died of starvation. Yeah. I mean, without me almost dying from starvation, I would not have escaped. 
Would you say starvation was the most challenging and like near death experience was the hardest part about actually leaving North Korea or was there other challenges? Anything in life, I went through slavery. I went through rape. I, I literally crossed the Gobi Desert. Any kind of thing, starvation is the worst of the torture you can ever experience because you die. I literally remember I was like, I was 13 and in China, they say, if you want to be in China, you have to be sold and be a sex slave. And I was like, I would not go back to North Korea. But that's the thing, like even at 13, like being starved was worse than being raped. That's why it's such an inhumane tool to control the people. So you're saying as soon as you crossed the border from North Korea into China, you were sold as a sex slave. Yeah, I was 13. <laughs> you were just so little, like, how, that's terrible. I mean, this is a thing, like, they are modern day slaves in this stage in North Korea. There are 300,000 North Korean defectors in China enslaved and being sold and being raped every day. And I think the world has any, doesn't really talk about it. Right. And there are many, many survivors like me exist, but there's no accountability. There's no, no justice for the survivors. Do you have an estimate of how many North Koreans have been able to escape or they don't know? Well, we, we can guess, right? There's around 30,000 North Korean defectors in South Korea right now. And in America, over 200 of us are here. Only 200? Around 211 or something like that. And I've met three or four of them already. So I can't believe there's only 200. From the moment you stepped foot into China until you arrived in the U.S., how, how much time was that? From me leaving North Korea to come to America, seven, eight years, I think. And you were mostly in South Korea during the time? I was in South Korea for like almost five years, two years in China, like almost half a, half a year in Mongolia. Do you think if you were still in North Korea right now, do you think you would be alive? No, I would not be alive. I would be dead many, many, many years ago. I was like 13. When I was 13, that's when I was about to die from starvation. So I would be dead right there. I thought there's a lot of like farms in North Korea where you guys can grow crops. You're saying that there's nothing to eat. Well, there are farms. There's a collective farms. You don't own the farm. Governments own the farm, right? It's nobody can own a private property in North Korea socialism. So in these farms, you as collectively harvest, but then government takes it all. And then they supposedly give you public rations, but they don't give you the public ration. They tell you to be self-reliant. So they take all your labor and you have no right to trade and make money, but they tell you be self-reliant. And if they insist it's a socialist, so they are gonna say, you cannot own anything, you cannot trade, it's illegal. So there's no way to survive in this system. That's how horrible North Korean regime became. I mean, like they promised us the we are never going to go starving. We're going to have the best education, best health, best health care, free of everything. Government was going to take care of all of us. So we don't need anything. They're going to own all, all of it as a collectively. But once they owned everything, they do not redistribute anything to us. Here's what I don't understand. A lot of the North Korean defectors that I've met, and you know these people, these women who I've met, they tell me that they were able to somehow sneak in like a USB drive and watch American movies on their computers. So that is happening. There are people, a small amount of people that are getting influence from the Western world in North Korea. Yeah, I don't think it's the computers as much. It's more like the North, the North Korean version of a player. And if you don't have internet, most of people don't have access to these devices. But especially the border areas like Pyongyang, they do. I, even myself, I watch a photo on TV and I watch the movie Titanic. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. So because I was in the border town, I was in Heisan, the why one river across from China. So this kind of outside information is going into North Koreans right now and changing their minds. 
What percentage of North Koreans do you think actually believe that Kim Jong-un is God and he's like the most best person on this earth? Like, do you think 5% or like 50%? I mean, living in North Korea is like living in a, in a Truman Show, <laughs> right? It's like everybody's like uh, acting and there's no such a thing called the public survey. I was so shocked when I came to America, they say with the public survey, like, what does that mean? Because <laughs> nobody asks, like, what do you think about it? And if you do, you're going to get killed. I believe the entire thing. I thought they were able to read my thoughts, you know, because North Korea regime, like, copied the Bible and tell us that, well, Jesus died, but his spirit is with us forever, right? And that's why we, if you were, you were in North Korea, you saw all those eternal towers. Yeah, of course. How they live forever. And then like, you know, our dear, dear great leader is with us forever. Like, Yongwani gets in that. Like, all those things keep telling you they are there with you forever. And that's why I thought, like, oh, I, God can, like, count my hairs. Like, Kim Il-sung can do the same thing. So that's why I can only speak for myself because I could never ask in North Korea, do you believe this or not? But do you suspect or do you really think that most people right now, like in school, they're learning about Kim Jong-un and Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il. Of course, they believe it because they have nothing else to believe. Yeah, I asked a lot of recent defectors who who, who had to study Kim Jong-un, right? The third Kim. They were scared of him mostly. Like all about like less respect. My time, I really, really admired the Kims. I love them. I like had this like passion for them. I want to die for them, right? But the ones that like, coming out recently is more like uh, I was scared. But then like, did you think that he was dictator? But like, no, they would not even know what dictatorship is, right? They don't know the word. It's brainwashing. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's entire brainwashing. But do, there, right now, as we speak, there is a little girl who's eight years old that that has a USB stick of maybe in Pyongyang of a movie in America, and they're like fascinated with America. So it is happening a little bit. Exactly, it's happening. It's very gradual process, but it's happening, and more North Koreans are awakening to see. But the thing is, the hard part is that it's hard for them to connect the dots because uh, they are knowledge of the world is so little i remember like i was watching the comedy or like like action movies i would not be able to like differentiate right because in north right. korea we have like different types of movies all one types of movie that's worshiping their leaders so for them to like connecting the dots and starting making that critical thinking it's gonna take some time one of the most interesting things about north korea to me was taking the underground metro in pyongyang H- have you ridden that before yes it's going really really deep down yeah it's the it's the deepest farthest underground metro in the world but you you have to take an escalator down for like three minutes and you enter this like crazy world where you have these like traffic these fake traffic police women like directing the metro and it doesn't make sense why are they why are they directing the metro for and then you get down there and there's these big murals or big paintings of socialist things (laughs) i don't know what it was but what was so strange to me was that i saw like thousands okay thousands of people no smiles obviously but mostly men in suits and briefcases. And I kept thinking to myself, where are they going? There's no like businesses that there's no banks, there's no hotels, there's no tourism industry. There's no any industry that I saw because on the streets, there's no street signs. There's nothing that says restaurant or a supermarket, nothing. So there's no way that they staged all those people because if they did, it would be the best display of staging ever in the history of mankind. I mean, I've seen the mask game, so I know what they're capable of doing. What was I seeing? Was that real or was that fake? It was real. Okay. Where were they going? So the North Korea set up like a lot of fake factories 
that doesn't work, like button factory, thread factory, fabric factory, shoes factory. But like you said, the economy is completely collapsed. They are not capable of making even a single button for a country. Like this time during the pandemic, they could not even make a little battery for the clocks. So North Korean clocks all stopped during the pandemic. They could not get it from China. So entire, they could not even make their own toothpaste. Nothing is like 99% things North Korean use coming from China, right? It's all like imported. But this man going to this fake factories the government set up. And because it's a collectivism, mobilization, so they have to attend and put their name in. And then like men, they're playing cards and like smoke, okay, okay. smoke and like do gambling, but they have to go to work in the mornings and go to these like fake factories. That makes sense because I know that there's no way that was staged because they were they were definitely going somewhere. That is crazy to think that they're going to like a factory which is not the and they do nothing there. If China somehow said, okay, we're done with North Korea. We're not going to give them any more money. What would happen? Then would everybody die? No, the regime will collapse. And then they will ask for the West help, right? Like, yeah, we're going to get rid of nukes. I mean, because the, the regime cannot survive on their own. What if nobody gave them help? No, the West, South Korea all want to help them. The international organizations are willing to help them. All they're asking is making sure that North Korea nuclear lies themselves. Then that's a condition. Like even the Trump and like Biden, all of them were saying, well, if you can verify that you're getting rid of nukes, we are going to rebuild your economy. We are going to help you in every possible way. South Korea, exactly. They are all ready to help North Korea. But the regime is like, no, we are not getting over with nukes. Yeah, it becomes a humanitarian thing. Like, clearly, there's 20 million people there, 25 million, and we want them to live good lives. I, I met a lot of them. When I ran the Pyongyang Marathon, I ran through the streets, and they were, they were nice people, like you. You're from North Korea. You're a great person. So I do understand it has to do with the nukes. If somehow North Korea can get rid of all that and, and they just want to comply with the West, then it could happen. Do you think that the, the regime needs to be overthrown by the North Koreans or do you think that will never happen? It's very hard because they, people are starving, right? Like people have no freedom to even move around within the country. I mean, we can maybe, I guess, see what, what's going on now in the West right now, but there's no freedom of movement. And not only that, if you do rise up, then they kill three to eight generations of your family or being executed and punished. So this like little fear can like scare so much even here in the West in freedom. But imagine that getting cared of all your entire clan of your family, such a huge consequence for the people. Right. And, and not only that, like that they don't have means to rise up. They don't have arms. They don't have weapons. They don't have anything to really fight against the regime. So it's really impossible. I mean, people really just zero capability to fight back. Something I'm also fascinated with is that I did spend two years in South Korea. I was an English teacher. I was in uh, Gyeonggi-do province in a town called Ansong. Do you know Ansong? I know Ansong. Uh, yeah. In between Pyeongtaek and Ansong, it's it's a middle, it's a rice field. It's called Jinsari, which is literally meaning like in the countryside. Outside of my school, it was all rice fields, which is pretty funny. But I really like immersed myself in Korean culture. I re I studied the language. I did Taekwondo. I got a black belt. I ate Korean barbecue three times a week. I went out and partied in Seoul, which as you know, and, and to anybody listening to this, Seoul is like the best nightlife city in the world. I mean, it's like 24-7, the clubs are going all night. The street food is out and Koreans like love to drink and have fun. And, and I think you would agree with me. But then like above the border it's the most opposite ever the thing that is fascinating to me is that you are one race you are one people i'm trying to get to a question here i'm just it's more of like a comment it's like 
it's so different in the South than the North. As a Korean person, does that kind of break your heart to think that your great grandparents lived in a world that was all one Korea? How does it make you feel? Well, I mean, my grandmother's dream was seeing the Korea being reunified, right? And my mother's dream, every Korean dream in North Korea, not the South Korea, but North Korea is their dream is seeing one Korea becoming one Korea again, right? Because we have thousands, almost five thousands of history. So really we've been together longer than like we've been separated. It's interesting though, how fast people evolve, especially in the modern age. Like, you know, look at even America 80 years ago. Right. And then think about, let's reunite with a country that hasn't been together for 80 years. And because like the changes in thousands of years ago was very gradual. Now in this modern age, the changes are so fast. And I think that's why I don't think that we share this, such a long history anymore, legitimizing why we need to be one together. And I, as a Norwegian defector, I was in South Korea. I'm sure you were not discriminated, but I was discriminated heavily. How do they know you're from North Korea? Accent, right? I had to learn South Korean accent and then later they would not do that. It's so funny. We, like other North Koreans, we experimented. So we get in the taxi after Incheon airport and then driver asks, where are you from? What's wrong with your accent? Then you say, oh, I'm a gyopo, like I'm a Korean American, right? In America, but that's why I have an accent. They don't like, they treat you so nice. <gasps> oh my God, my daughter wants to go to America and I'll go to New York and Times Square. But you say, oh, I'm, I'm from North Korea, I'm a Northern defector. Then like, they started yelling at you and telling you how horrible it is. And like other defectors that like definitely do the ex- exact experiment. So when you tell them you're like a Korean American or Northern defector, completely different like response. And I think that's why it's a, it's pretty sad that like if South Korea cannot even imba- embrace 30,000 North Korean defectors, how they're gonna, <laughs> I mean, ending up making peace with 25 millions of North Koreans who never exposed to modernity ever again in their life. What you just told me is so incredibly sad. That's very sad. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you were there. I mean, did, did they care about North Korean people? They do not. Like South Korea, I didn't even talk about North Korea at all. So here's a true story. I taught a middle school and I had a thousand students. And so I see every day I had several classes and they would come in. And anytime North Korea was brought up, they all just start laughing. Literally, like if you show a picture of Kim Jong-un, they like, like, like a belly laugh, which means like, like, actually, it wasn't like a fake laugh. Like they think it's so funny, everything that's happening in North Korea. And then my, my Korean co-teachers who are in their 30s, they would like, do not talk about North Korea. They don't exist. We don't want to talk about North Korea. That's what it was like. They are completely denial about it. And I, I try to understand their psychology, right? Like this country is very, South Koreans are compassionate people. They do a lot of philanthropy. They raise a lot of money for children in Africa. They really care about animals, right? There's how many celebrities in South Korea fighting for animals' rights. As soon as I talk to them about North Korean women are raped in China and like how they're abused, how they have zero human rights, they were like, oh, don't tell me about it. Like, I don't want to listen, right? You guys have the same last names. You have the same grandfathers. I, I don't understand why. I mean, the language is the same, mostly, right? It's different dialects, but it's the same Korean, obviously. This is the only case in the whole world of any one group of people that literally hate the other group. It's not like like Germans don't hate Austrians and Czech people don't hate Slovaks and Colombian people don't hate Venezuelan. There might be like a rivalry politically or whatever, sports teams, I don't know, like Argentina and Brazil, but you never, I've never heard of a group of people who are the same uh, race to speak the same language and they can't stand each other. It's more of 
South Koreans hate North Korea. Not so much North Koreans hate South Korea. Yeah. North Koreans love South Koreans, right? Like that's why when they go in a third country, they they ask you to choose a country to go. So that's a funny thing about it's so hard to escape from North Korea. So many countries accepting North Koreans, like America, Japan, the UK, Canada, Australia, Switzerland, Denmark, they all accept North Korean defectors as a refugees. But then they choose like where do you want to go? They mostly say, I want to go South Korea. Because they think South Korea is the same Korea. And obviously when you end up there, like, oh, it's not the same thing. So Yeonmi, you're really outspoken about everything. And I, I commend you. I, I'm very excited to know you as a friend. And I just admire your courage and your boldness for standing your foot forward and saying these things about the North Korean regime. Are you scared that your life is in jeopardy now because you're saying all these things? Like clear, there's for sure Kim Jong-un knows who you are and people on his in his cabinet or whatever your name is probably on a list. Do you ever worry for your own life in the US? Yeah, I mean, I, right, like I was informed by South Korean intelligence agents that I'm on the killing list many years ago, actually. But you know, it's it's interesting thing, like when your enemy is so big that your enemy has a nukes, right? It bullies American leader too. <laughs> I mean, Kim Jong doesn't pick up Biden's call. It's so funny. The only country that America begs to talk to is North Korea. No country does that to America, but like North Korea dares to ignore American phone call. But even when your enemy is so big, I think it kind of liberates you, right? It's like, even, even if I want to run away, there's no way to run away. Kim Jong has a capability to catch you anywhere on this earth unless i go to mars with elon musk or something <laughs> i think he can get me anywhere in this earth i really learned to stop worrying about it and really try not to take any any of my life being in free dumb like not taking for granted but do you think there are any people in the u.s right now that kim jong-un can say hey go capture yonmi park right now in the u.s do you think it's possible absolutely i mean there's a north korean council in new york they're the part of new york members so i was walking around the meantime like you know seeing them at the u.n and were you scared well i was scared in switzerland like literally at the u.n they put me next to north korean delegation because we are geographically close right and like these people are swearing at me oh my god and yeah, UN is so, so retarded. They really don't think, they don't really know what's going on inside North Korea. <laughs> How would you describe North Korea in one word? Humanity is like mystery that it will take many, many, many years of studying what happened. How did we allow this to happen? And how did you allow, let it continue like this? So the word would be mystery. Yeah, it's a real mystery. My word would be depressing. It is, it is quite quite sad. It is it's really really sad. But I think, for me as a like intellectual person too, it's very like remarkable how can a country can last this long and still going so strong. And it also asks us like what humanity really is, right? Like we think we are just benevolent people who can care about animals' rights, but it also shows how we can be so ignorant when it comes to human suffering. So it North Korea presents so many so much about humanity to us. And also like how bad guys can still thrive. There's no accountability to committing murder. So it's, it's really almost like representing all the problems that we have in the world in a one place. And it's just an extreme case, but you know, it shows what we are capable of. We can create a complete total monstrous government. And when we support something like that dreamy songs, like, you know, there's never going to be inequality. There's never going to be poverty. Everything will be wonderful. And then they took us to the hellhole that we never, ever seen as a humanity ever before. Yonmi, what are your goals in the next five years? Where do you see yourself? What do you hope to achieve? 
why I do wanna want people to know about you know this country that I mean I want children to study about North Korea in school so we can prevent whatever is happening in North Korea in any other countries. I think it's not like just I want to save North Korean people. Of course, I want to free them, right? But I will, I'm also worried about countries can become like North Korea. So I really want to make sure that we all understand the price of freedom and how North Korea became that way and studying so we can we don't follow their steps. You know, any country is possible to become like North Korea. It's not their exception. Look at South Korea, North Korea, with the exact same capability, with the exact same genetics and history and tradition. One tried the system of what, like socialism, one tried the free democracy, and they became the, the polar opposite. One the brightest country and one became the darkest country, you know? So we really need to study this as a humanity for our sake. Youngmi, if you can give one message to everyone in the world, what message would you tell them? Well, I guess, how about joining me fighting for freedom? <laughs> That'd be nice. I don't think anything is better than being a free human being, right? Like, look at you, you are free. You can go to like 191 countries, you said. Like, what can do that to you? Like, when you are free, you can fulfill your potential. You can be creative. I want people to really know the rethinking about the value of freedom. Because I think we are in this age of like time when people taking for granted. And I think that's why it'd be nice for us to reawakening that appreciation. That was really, really well said. Thank you, Yeonmi. Oh, thank you so much, Chia. <laughs> I really appreciate it. And uh, let's keep in touch and hopefully I'll see you again soon. I know, that'd be lovely. Keep, keep me posted and stay healthy. Kamsamnida. Thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast episode. If you feel inspired by this conversation, please share it with somebody who would enjoy listening. And if you're here for the first time, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget to leave a review. Every week, I'm going to be looking through them and highlighting my favorite one. And with that all being said, I will see you guys next week. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.